It has been an incredible week, hasn't it? We woke up on Friday morning, and regardless of, of what you did on Thursday, we woke up to a different place, to a different scene, to a resignation of a prime minister, and to a certain element of uncertainty in our nation. The archbishops have um, been quite public. They spoke in advance of the referendum, and they have written a statement. This is by the Archbishop of York and by the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I thought it would be worth sharing what they are saying. They're very wise, prayerful men who we have a lot of time for. And to hear them speaking rationally and fairly into the situation, not to comment on the outcome of a vote, but to recognise that this is a significant time for our nation where things will be different. And we're not quite sure what that difference is going to be. So I wanted to read this to you. On Thursday, millions of people from across the United Kingdom voted in the referendum, and a majority expressed a desire that Britain's future is to be outside the European Union. The outcome of this referendum has been determined by the people of this country. It is now the responsibility of the government, with the support of Parliament, to take full account of the outcome of the referendum, and in the light of this, decide upon the next steps. This morning, this was Friday, the Prime Minister David Cameron has offered a framework for when this process might formally begin. The vote to withdraw from the European Union means that now we must all reimagine both what it means to be the United Kingdom in an interdependent world and what values and virtues should shape and guide our relationships with others. As citizens of the United Kingdom, whatever our views during the referendum campaign, we must now unite in a common task to build a generous and forward-looking country, contributing to human flourishing around the world. We must remain hospitable and compassionate, builders of bridges and not barriers. Many of those living among us and alongside us as neighbours, friends and work colleagues come from overseas, and some will feel a deep sense of insecurity. We must respond by offering reassurance, by cherishing our wonderfully diverse society and by affirming the unique contribution of each and every one. The referendum campaign has been vigorous and at times has caused hurt to those on one side or the other. We must therefore act with humility and courage, being true to the principles that make the very best of our nation. Unity, hope and generosity will enable us to overcome the period of transition that will now happen and to emerge confident and successful. The opportunities and challenges that face us as a nation and as global citizens are too significant for us to settle for less. As those who hope and trust in the living God, let us pray for all our leaders, especially for Prime Minister David Cameron in his remaining months in office, we also pray for leaders across Europe and around the world as they face this dramatic change. Let us pray especially that we may go forward to build a good United Kingdom that though relating to the rest of Europe in a new way will play its part amongst the nations in the pursuit of the common good throughout the world. We're not in the same place as we were a week ago. And I felt this had a real sense of integrity and good response that might just help us as we will all be facing questions regardless of what happened on Thursday 
the place is different that we're in now. We've also issued a prayer, which I'd like to use now. Let us pray. Eternal God, light of the nations, in Christ you make all things new. Guide our nation in the coming days through the inspiration of your spirit, that understanding may put an end to discord and all bitterness. Give us grace to rebuild bonds of trust, that together we may work for the dignity and flourishing of all, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The reading this morning is taken from Colossians 3 to 1 to 11. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning feeling uncertain, but knowing in our minds the certainty of Christ, in whom all things have their fullness and in whom all things hold together. And so we pray that you would speak to us this morning in a way uh, that is new to us and sends us out with a joy for the life that you've given us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Debbie's uh, absolutely right. This has been a very unusual week. Uh, And there are certain times when you you come and speak and something big has happened. uh, And while you start thinking uh, about a a talk, you know, a week or two in advance and you just kind of mull it over, um, so it kind of changes as you get closer and closer. And then you arrive uh, at the church in the morning uh, and you wonder actually whether what you've written has any bearing on what you should be saying. And this is one of those occasions. 
But this passage is perfect for us this morning. We're continuing our uh, thoughts and reflections on Colossians, uh, and it might be worthwhile just turning to it, or or if you wish, having it uh, in front of you, uh, and we're going to dash into just one or two of Paul's letters. It's page 1184 in our Bibles. This is uh, Colossae. We know it's a, it's a large and vibrant city. Uh, it's receiving a letter, an epistle from Paul. Uh, and Paul was writing it while he was a prisoner in Rome. It was designed to ensure that the people were not similarly bound by the law of the zealous Jews or influenced by the Gentile philosophers. It was a flourishing church, but not one that Paul had either set up or even visited. So this is very much Paul writing a letter to friends across the country. And today we're in chapter 3. And our conclusion is that we must set our hearts and minds on things that are above and not of this world in order that we might live a life worthy of the calling to which God has indeed called us. So that's our conclusion. We can all go home. However, let's just work out how we got there. Because like any letter, this follows a logical stream of thought. Uh, and verse, uh, chapter 3 starts by since then, so we have to look back at what that since then is about. Since then you have been raised. What does raised actually mean? It's a curious uh, phrase. So first of all, you might like to look back into chapter 2. And in chapter 2 we see that all the fullness of God is in Christ. He is indeed God himself. And in him, we are fulfilled. We're marked. We're literally marked out as followers of God. And that marking, if you look at verse 12 in particular, in chapter 2, mentions that we're buried with him in baptism and raised to new life. And it's that same symbol that we use now, that we are buried in our sins. We bury them with God, with Christ. And at the sign of baptism, the sign of life, of purity, the cleansing through the water, that we follow the light of Christ. That's why we give the candle. So that we are brought forward into a new life. Another letter that uh, Paul wrote is Galatians. You don't have to turn to this. It's just a few pages earlier. Galatians 2 Uh, verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me I have been crucified with Christ and I am raised up just in the same way that Christ rose from the dead So we have this new affiliation, we have this new link with God, we have a new outlook, a new behaviour. It's not predicated on our own rules, but it's an outworking of the experience we have with Christ. 
Paul writes in Philippians, another letter to the churches, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So because of this baptism, being raised with Christ in this new life, he believes he has a new perspective, a new calling uh, to follow. So let's go back to Colossians 3. Because we are raised, we're born again with Christ into this new life. And verse 2, therefore, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, And verse 3, the old life has gone. We live a new life. What is your life? Perhaps I should put that a different way. What do you live for? I don't know if you've been to uh, a funeral recently or even some weddings that they say you live for, and particularly at a funeral, this person lived for their music. They lived for their work. They lived for their family. What do you live for? What do you live for? How will you be described? How will I be described or remembered? We should follow a new way. So what is this new way? Well, let's follow the progression of Paul. Verse 4. Christ is our life. And when he appears, we will be lifted up. This is talking about heaven. When Christ comes again, we will be lifted up because we are marked with the presence of Christ. How do we do that? Verse 5. It's putting to death, putting aside, literally turning our back on the old ways, our old desires, our old habits. And there is a list given then in verses 5 and 8. Not just of those sort of obvious, the big sins, we might want to to call them. But these are those character traits as well. The bad language. The lies. Actually, they're, they're not so important. Well, of course they are. Because that's what's marking us. That is what we are. That is who we are. The anger, the slander, the bad language, the lies... These are all things we've got to put to death. And Paul makes it clear in another letter in Ephesians that if we don't kill the sins, the sin will kill us. This is Ephesians 2 verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time. That's the, uh, the, the heathen, as it were. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following their desires and thoughts Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So we were no better than anybody else until we found that saving grace in Christ. And if we're trying to give something up, because this is really hard, if we're trying to give something up, we actually have to stop doing it. If you're trying to give up chocolate, you don't buy any. If you have a little... You're nourishing your desire. 
Because having a little, you then want more. Because actually you find it's quite nice. And ask an alcoholic that same question. It's all or nothing. You can't just have a little. Because a little nourishes that desire. And that is really hard. If we sin against someone, we're not just sinning against them. We're hurting three people. We're dishonouring God. We're hurting the person that we have you know, been in communion with. And we're hurting ourselves. Because when we do something wrong, we carry that with us. That feeling of regret. That feeling of guilt. That feeling of shame. It's sometimes easier to forgive other people than it is ourselves. And we feel tainted. We feel marked by the wrong things. What is it that marks our life? What do we live for? It has been an extraordinary week, and this is where my notes have have sort of run out, really. Because I did say, I I was here on (coughs) Tuesday at the encounter evening, and I know a number of us were. Uh, And for those that haven't been to encounter, can I simply encourage you to do so? It is a place of space. It is a place where we just give time to God. And the amazing thing is, is, is when you actually go to someone and you want to listen, you find that they speak to you. It's the most extraordinary experience. And you can come to God and you can give God time and he will speak to you. And I said at the time that I would explain the similarity between a chameleon and a tangerine. So I will do just that. That this is in the context of an EU referendum. And uh, I, was going to, I was going to read some very powerful words of Justin Welby um, in the run-up to the referendum where he was explaining why he was going to vote the way he was going to vote as a believer in Christ. And they were very powerful words, but the outcome is such that I didn't feel that I could use those words. So I was going to read his and the Archbishop of York's statement. Bless you, Debbie. Thank you for that. But why have they reached that conclusion? They've reached that conclusion because of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Because verse 11 says here, in this community, there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, save, flee. Christ is all and is in all. We are all one together in Christ Marion and I had the um, real uh, joy, actually, and benefit of being in St. Petersburg in Russia for a few days. I told you a little while ago that, uh, as one illustration, we had to apply for a visa. The visa was so that we could go to Russia. Uh, You only needed a visa because if you wanted to do your own thing, you needed a visa so you could just wander 
uh, and the Russians are, are a bit particular about who they allow wandering around their streets. So anyway, we got a visa and we went to St. Petersburg. And it is the most extraordinary place. The buildings are wonderful. They are simply sumptuous and amazing. But because we had a visa, we could go for a walk. And we did walk. And we walked off the beaten track, partly because I'd taken us the wrong way, as ever. (coughs) It's another day, but it's exploration, it's adventure. And the further away from the glamorous buildings and the heart of this city you go, the more uneasy you feel. And we were talking about it as we were coming back. And I asked Marion, what did you really think of St. Petersburg? And she said, oh, it's just amazing. But there's no life there. I said, what do you you mean? She said, well, there's this incredible feeling of oppression and having to do what looks right. So they've got these wonderful buildings, but if you address people in them, you get a very clipped short answer. They're quite aggressive. She said, we walked up and down all of those main streets How many people did we see having coffee on the streets? What sort of bustle and activity was there? Absolutely none. There was no cafe culture. There were very few restaurants, certainly none visible from the streets. It was as though there was nothing inside. And it was all just this exterior pomp and show. And the extraordinary thing is, I had been thinking uh, about a chameleon. And a chameleon, of course, changes colour depending upon its circumstances. And it will always try and blend in with where it is. And I think that we as people very often do the same. At work, it's very easy to join in the rude jokes and the innuendo because you don't want to feel or be seen as something slightly odd. Even in our appearance, we try and appear like other people, not only wearing our clothes, but even in our our face and our hair. And, And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but we do try and just blend in with the crowd. We want to be seen just like anybody else. And when you read uh, some background to this passage, uh, the illustration that kept coming up was putting on new clothes. We need to appear something different. But actually, it goes much deeper than that, because putting on a clothes, you can just take it off again. What we need is something much deeper. And the chameleon has that. And I'll come back to that in a moment. Because I want to bring you back to Encounter on Tuesday. Because this was an opportunity for those of us that were there to meet God and ask him to speak to us. Uh, And one of the activities was a bowl of fruit, just here. Uh, And we were allowed to pick out a piece of fruit and uh, go, and with a, a helpful series of questions that Debbie had put down, pray through what this piece of fruit was saying to us. Uh, And I could see some strawberries there, and I have a passion for strawberries, so I thought, that's perfect, I'm going to go and get one of those. Uh, And what I hadn't realised when I got near the bowl, that actually there were lots of fruits there, they weren't just strawberries. So I picked, bizarrely, this piece of tangerine. Um, And I went to the 
the rail and I just knelt. And I don't know how long we were praying for. I, was it 40 minutes, something like that? I didn't even move. I was just completely taken by this piece of tangerine. And the longer I held it, the drier it became. And the harder the skin felt. It was only one segment. And it became harder and harder, drier and drier. And I thought of myself, this was on Tuesday, remember, before the Thursday. Uh, And I thought of that. And I thought, you know, I've been doing this job at work for quite a long time now. And I'd spent all of Tuesday afternoon with someone who has great ambitions, believes that they are fantastic, and it is my job to tell them that actually they've got quite a lot of issues in what they're doing. And effectively, I was telling him he was, uh, his career was not on the path that he was anticipating and his future was not as bright as he expected. And I spent about three hours with him that afternoon. And I was, at the time, I felt that I was trying to do this gently. But increasingly, over the years, as that is what my job is, dealing with people and being, frankly, quite brutal with them sometimes, I could get harder and harder. I could get drier and drier. And I could be doing that in my own strength rather than bringing out the hope that is within. And at that point I thought, I've had enough of this, so I started eating my tangerine. And you know what? Despite it being hard and dry, it was incredibly sweet. It was incredibly moist. It was incredibly colourful. And all of that was from within even though the outside was hard, so the inside bore life. And then I thought again about the chameleon. And this is where the similarity is, because the skin of the chameleon changes colour, but it's not the skin that changes colour. It actually has crystals under the skin, and it's a chemical change in their body that changes the colour. The skin just allows you to see it. The change is from within. That's the similarity between the chameleon and the tangerine. I'm not trying to extend this you know, in an existential way, but the change is from within. Colossians 3 is saying the change has to be from within. You have been raised with Christ because of his life, his death and his resurrection. He has given you something completely new. And that new perspective means that there is no Greek There is no Jew, there is no slave, there is no free. We are all one with Christ. So whatever the result of the referendum, we still have a duty as Christians to be hospitable, to love and be generous. We must remain hospitable and compassionate, builders of bridges and not barriers. We must act with humility and courage being true to the principles that make the very best of our nation. Those principles are held by the Christians of this country because it is the Christians of this country who have this new life, this new hope, 
this new perspective, and that holds together in Jesus Christ. Now is our time. Now is the time for the Christians of this country to stand up and say, there is a better way, there is a different way, and that is still in encompassing people from other lands. It is still in loving other people, because we are called to that through the love and the salvation that Jesus has brought us. What is our life? How will we be seen and remembered? It's a big question and it's become even more important this week. Oh, Heavenly Father, forgive the imperfections of of the thoughts and explanation. But help us to come to your throne your feet and to understand again that it is from you that we gain our life in you in whom we have life and hope and our future is with you there is a higher throne than all this world has known where faithful ones from every tongue will one day come Before the sun we'll stand, made faultless through the Lamb, believing hearts, find promised grace, salvation comes. And there, there at the throne of God we'll find our home. Our life before the throne will honour him in perfect song where we belong. He'll wipe each tear-stained eye as thirst and hunger die. The Lamb becomes our shepherd king will reign with him now and forever. Amen.